Before 2016, not a lot of Nevadans knew the name Jackie Rosen. But today, she's finishing up her first six-year term as one of our United States senators. So who is Senator Jackie Rosen, and how did her decades in Las Vegas shape her views, her causes, and political life? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with the senator to learn about her uniquely Las Vegas experiences. We also challenge her bipartisanship bona fides, and spoiler, we also reveal how her family's journey in our city started with a connection to a certain local podcast host. It's Monday, July 24th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. United States Senator Jackie Rosen, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Well, David, thank you for having me. I am so excited uh, to be on your show, honestly. So should I call you Senator Rosen or Jackie? I think you can call me Jackie since I've known you almost, I think I've known you your entire life. We do have some family history. Do you want to let our audience in on how we do know each other? I do because it, uh, unfortunately, our parents are no longer with us. And so mm. uh, you and I share a very special bond because we know a lot of the family history between our parents because our dads, uh, actually your dad, uh, Meyer, and your uncle Isidore were my father's best friends from the mm. time he was born growing up and uh, remained best friends their entire lives. I can still hear your mom's voice. Your parents both were, they're very present in, in my life. And uh, our moms became uh, really good friends. My mother's birthday was on New Year's Eve. Every uh, New Year's Day, every New Year's Eve, they would uh, spend together a lot of fun stories there. And my family actually followed your family out here. My brother um, graduated from Valley High School. Yeah. And uh, um, I want to say one thing that I think you'll, you'll really laugh about. I remember being at your home for a, a holiday celebration your grandmother and her very famous bean salad. I wish Oof. I had some today. The three bean uh, salad. Yeah, bean salad. Your grandmother was famous for it. And uh, uh, I remember that well. And I remember you were just about to go off to law school. You wanted to be a writer and you wanted to do all these things. And, and your mom said, yeah, you can do that after law school. And mm -hmm. you have. And yeah. she's so proud of you. And you've done everything that uh, she imagined and dreamed you could do even more. Oh, thank you. Yeah, lots of fond memories on my end of it as well, especially of your parents. And those New Year's Eves, yeah, they all went out. And you and I still share those uh, photos back and we forth do, of the, the the parents in one of the classic booths at one of the different uh, casinos on the Strip enjoying a New Year's Eve celebration. Yeah, that, it's kind that, of amazing. That's my favorite one. That's my favorite one. I found others, but that's, that's the best one, I think. Yeah. So let me... Pivot to this then. I mean, you have been in Las Vegas for a little while now. Your parents moved here first and then you came back mm -hmm. after after college. How do you think your experiences in Las Vegas changed the trajectory of your life? Oh, well, I can just tell you that um, my parents, like I said, moved here 75, 76. I was already in college. So I was just coming back and forth for holidays in the summer. Um, but, you know, I grew up like you in a working class family. I was mm -hmm. first in my family to graduate from college. I went to University of Minnesota. Uh, 
worked multiple jobs to put my way through school, uh, and even including uh, a stint as a cocktail waitress at Caesar's Palace one summer, and oh, then yeah. worked for the Culinary Union to go 226, as we say. Um, but but that really um, gave me a strong foundation of work ethic and um, really helped me do what I do now. And so I moved here I guess they moved here maybe 45, 46 years ago. I moved, moved full-time about 43 years ago, as you said, after college. I started my career as a computer programmer and for major companies across Nevada and uh, continued to try to uh, improve myself, accounting, other kinds of business things I didn't take at the University of Minnesota. I ended up getting an associate's degree from uh, Clark County Community College. And that's what it was called at the time. And uh, very proud. I love my career as a software developer and designer. But my parents got old and ill at the same time. I know you know that because yeah. we went I went through it with you as well. And uh, and my in-laws who retired to Las Vegas. So I stepped away from my career to become a caregiver uh, for them. And just like you all throughout my life, uh, adult life, I've been a volunteer and worked in philanthropy, very busy in my congregation, eventually rising to be the president of Congregation Near to Me, the largest uh, reformed synagogue in the state. And really in Nevada, I moved there and I raised a family. I got married. I raised a family. I started my career. I did philanthropy. I made my friends. I took care of my loved ones. It really has been my entire life and all the things I care about in Nevada. And I'm so proud to uh, hear people's stories of doing all the same things. They work to go to school. They uh, dream of a career. They have one. They volunteer and help in their community when they can. Uh, they worry about their families and their friends. And a lot of people, of course, become caregivers when a loved one gets ill, chronic, or terminal disease or aging. And I carry these stories with me. I feel that people um, hear my story and they start telling me theirs. And those right. become the seeds of my legislation. Those are the stories I continue to tell. And um, I'm very proud to say that Nevada is my home. It really is where I became an adult and yeah. um, really happy to be the senator. And that, you know, even the mention of that summer job you had as a cocktail waitress at Caesars, <laughs> that's pretty storied. You know, it's like, not. I'm guessing there's not a lot of uh, your fellow United States senators yeah. who have that same experience, right? No. And that's a Vegas-only sort of thing. It, it's a Vegas-only sort of thing. And, of course, I came back the summer. I turned 21. And uh, you go down to the Culinary Union. Back then, there weren't computers. You sat, uh, the union's in the same place. But they gave you these little yellow slips. And, and of course, August is a time people go on vacation. So I was able to work in the same place at Caesars Palace while all the uh, women who worked there went on vacation. Mm. It was great. I made a lot of money. I paid my tuition for the entire uh, year. Of course, wow. back then, it was the 1970s. It was $500 a quarter to go to school. So uh, the $1,500 I probably made in the six weeks or a few thousand dollars, it was a you know pretty significant amount. I was really able to pay for my tuition. So it made all the difference um, for me because I had to take out student loans and it was one less loan than I had to take out. Sure. So doing all that philanthropy and working in the temple and stuff, and then all of a sudden politics became something for you. And as some of the stories go, it's like Harry Reid descended from, from the sky and said, you are the one. How did that come about? You know, I, I think that when Nevada's third district opened, not just Senator Reid, but others were trying to think of um, a different kind of person to run. 
Mm. That district had only been a district since 2000, of course, held all the time except for once by a Republican. And they were trying to think of someone who'd lived, raised a family, done philanthropy, a regular person who had just grown up uh, and raised her family, did all the things I did in Las Vegas. And somehow uh, my name came up as, as they were talking. I was uh, the president of my synagogue at the time, so uh, maybe people knew me from that. And um, when when folks came to talk to me, this is what they said. I like to tell this story, and I will uh, say it again. What someone told me is this. They said, you know, if you think about changing Washington, you probably won't do that. But what you will do through your constituent services, you're going to help people when they call, veterans, seniors, businesses, large and small. You're going to help them through constituent services. You're going to hear these stories as you go around and talk to people. Those will be the seeds of your legislation. You'll take that back and you will pass bills. I've been on dozens of bills that I've either sponsored or co-sponsored that have become law. I'm very proud of them. Most of them don't make the news, but they make a difference for people back home, my mobile actor, tourism, omnibus, uh, so many other things, bringing the uh, broadband and the high, uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, all that broadband. That was my middle mile broadband deployment was the base bill for that. So I take these stories and we've really been able to deliver results for Nevada. So that was something that really spoke to me, that I could help people through constituent services mm -hmm. and I could take their stories and try to make meaningful legislation out of it. And uh, I believe that I've done that. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. I want to say, in a swing state like uh, Nevada, everyone wants to be bipartisan, and you are proudly so. I mean, that that is a word we see a lot coming out of your mm -hmm. office and a lot of the uh, news releases, etc. I'm going to tell you, Jackie, even your website is purple. Uh, I'm imagining that <laughs> that might be a deliberate choice, but maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. We, maybe. Love, we love the color purple. <laughs> it's very, very purple. But I, I'm wondering if you could share some examples of reaching across the aisle yeah. and when that has specifically helped Las Vegans. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, this is how I feel. Nevada sent me to uh, to the Senate, to Congress, 
to get things done. And so my motto is agree where you can and fight where you must. And a lot of things, uh, and we can talk about tourism, we can talk about uh, some of our health care, we can talk about broadband. Those things aren't inherently uh, partisan. So you try to find all the places you can to get together. Agree where you can, fight where you must. And I'm really proud. I have to tell you about two top 10 lists I'm on. Uh, not the David Letterman top 10, uh, but two top 10 lists I'm very proud of in my first term. I'm one of the top 10 most bipartisan senators overall out of all 100, and I'm in the top 10 most effective Democratic senators overall. I'm very proud of that because it means that I'm trying to find common ground on the things that uh, we agree on because people are counting on me. So for our tourism industry, we passed a tourism omnibus bill, and I can tell you with Senator Dan Sullivan, uh, it has a whole bunch of bills in there, but Senator Dan Sullivan from Alaska, we have created a new position in Department of Commerce that oversees a strategy for national tourism. Coming out of COVID, we realize all the things we have to think about from our infrastructure, our travel industry, our goods and services, our roads, ports, bridges, all of these things, our workforce, so important. And we pass that into law. And so that's one of the bills on tourism. There's been a few others, but that's really important work with Dan Sullivan in Alaska. Another bill I'm really proud of is called our Mobile uh, Health Care Act. And for especially for our rural communities or our underserved communities, if there's community health centers or the federal qualified health centers, they have a lot of grant money. But it was always to build bricks and mortar type clinics. Sure. But we know if you have fast rural areas like we do in our state or so underserved much more difficult. areas, mm -hmm. You can have, we see mobile mammogram vans. We see mobile vans that go out and give uh, kids an eye check, hearing, some of those things. Maybe they go out to our senior centers in rural Nevada. They check for cholesterol, diabetes, again, hearing, eye exams. And so whatever is important for those communities, they can create these mobile, use this money to create a mobile um you know, you get like a big RV and you, you turn it into a mobile clinic and then you can drive out to where people are and take care of what the needs are. I'm very proud of that. That's going to help everyone across the country. Our kids may be in urban areas, seniors who can't get out and really in our rural areas, a game changer. Yeah. And uh, specifically for Las Vegas, I and I know because of some of the committees that you stand on and, and some of the Mm -hmm. uh, personal interactions that you and I have had. I, mm -hmm. I know that palliative care and hospice care, uh, especially for our aging parents, is so important to you. Obviously, the military is a really big thing for us here in Nevada, but specifically in Las Vegas with Nellis and, and Creech not terribly far away. So what, do you, what would be examples of some bipartisanship that have directly benefited us here in Las Vegas? I mean, after all, we're CityCast Las Vegas, so we want to shine on Las Vegas. Well, I, I would say the tourism industry, uh, like I said, the Mobile Health Care Act. I also think that we, um, for Nellis, you want to talk about that. One of the things that we've done, we had a lot of roundtables at Nellis and Creech, and those young men, uh, women who are enlisted, they get what's called a base housing allowance. And uh, so when they transfer from base housing into the community, it is oftentimes really um, expensive. And they have to put out the money first. And then they get the money back later. Mm -hmm. And so we heard this from our, you know, young enlisted, and it was causing them to take loans, use credit cards, and go into debt. We ended up writing to the Secretary of Defense, bringing it up in committee, and they agreed with us. And we, even without legislation, they sent us a letter back, well, of course, this makes sense. We will get their money to them 
right away so they don't have to maybe take out any uh, loans or use credit cards with high interest, some of those things. So that really impacted the servicemen and women you, you speak about, Nellis. Another thing you talk about health care, um, like I said, I took care of my parents and in-laws. You went through this. We went through assisted living. My mother passed from terminal cancer, palliative care, and Terminal care, care that's not curative. When someone's aging, maybe going through memory problems, uh, uh, like my mother-in-law and so many others, they still need care, but they're not going to be cured. So if you have a chronic disease or terminal disease or you're aging, so my palliative care caucus, or now we call it the comprehensive care caucus, um, it's not easy to talk about, but when you're there taking care of a loved one, having this access so that they continue to get the kind of loving care that they need when they need it. It's extremely important. And we have been expanding access to palliative care that way, something I really learned about born out of my own experience and that of my friends. And I, um, it's near and dear to my heart in a very tough time often for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would imagine that hitting on these like you said, bipartisan issues and really advocating in there can make a difference and make a change for a lot of, of mm-hmm. Las Vegans. Uh, I do want to talk about maybe what some people consider to be the downside of bipartisanship, which is that you know sometimes you wind up doing stuff that's maybe too incremental or that it might get in the way of doing things that really matter to you. And one example I want to bring up is, and I know this, uh, listening to you on the floor, giving your speeches, giving speeches in in, in the community, that uh, DACA and the, the Dreamers really mean so much to you. And, you know, with uh, bipartisanship, it just doesn't seem like that permanent residency piece, that one that's so important to all those dreamers that you care so much about, really can ever happen through these traditional smaller measures. I mean, is that a, a challenge, a real downside of bipartisanship? Uh, yes, it is a challenge. That's why you say agree where you can fight where you must. And this is where we have the slimmest of majorities with 51. This is where I'm going to put the plug out there. This is where voting matters Mm. because the thing is, is we need comprehensive bipartisan immigration reform. We have to protect our borders. Nobody wants drug traffickers. Nobody wants criminals. Nobody wants human trafficking. But we have dreamers here. We have TPS recipients. We have so many things that we need to take care of. But for whatever reason, partisanship, I'll let the pundits uh, talk (laughs) about all of that, gets in the way but we don't have all the votes. And so when you don't have 60 votes, you have to figure out what you can do and move step, at least one step forward, one step forward, one step forward until we continue to increase our majority or or in some of the states, uh, they have the voices of their constituents speak up loud enough for my colleagues on the other side to listen. And so instead of doing nothing, we try to do something, help every way that we can going forward, even if it's not enough, uh, until we get the votes or get public opinion to force the votes uh, for the other side, because there just isn't a mechanism in the way that our our Congress works. All right, Um, Jackie, last question for you. Uh, This is the fun one. well, that's all been fun. Please. It this has all been fun. But now now we're going to completely switch gears for one very last question. You can make this as quick as you like. Um, you've got a night out with your husband in Henderson, which is your hometown. Um, 
give me some specific places, things that you guys are going to do. What shout out for your favorite your favorite spots or businesses in in your oh, hometown? Oh man, you know what? I love you every business in Las Vegas. That's a tough one, but I will tell you, uh, COVID was very tough. My husband, we love to go sit in the movie theater. Love to sit in the movie theater. Why? Because you're immersed. It's dark. You go in. There's no walk by the laundry room. I better throw a load of laundry in. All of those things that distract you. It's great to stream things, but it's not the same experience. So we love to go. Which movie theater do you hit? Well, right now, um, sadly, since COVID, some have closed down. So we yeah. go to, over to Green Valley Ranch. Uh, that's uh, the closest one to our home. There were others before COVID um, right now. Of course, also, I forget the one with the great um, reclining chairs over on uh, Green Valley Parkway and Sunset. Uh, there's a luxury theater over oh, there. Oh, yeah. It's been there for a while. It's been there for a while. Uh, that one's very I always forget about that place. You go to that one. and Yeah. Uh, uh, you can get a great boba tea after, which I, I love. There's a lot of uh, little, great little spots there. I'll give a shout out to the, maybe one of the oldest Mexican restaurants in Henderson. My in-laws love to go there. Coyotes, which is right by uh, That's over on Sunset and uh, over by that movie theater. So that, nice. uh, that's a great place to have a margarita and then go to a movie. See, there you go. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, United States Senator Jackie Rosen, so great catching up with you. And thanks for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas. Anytime, David, is my honor and my pleasure. Thank you. By the way, we'll be sharing that famous bean salad recipe in the newsletter and on the website. So make sure to check it out at lasvegas.citycast.fm. And before you go, a few things you should know. The good news! Lake Mead has risen three feet this month, and it's projected to rise another six feet this summer. Thanks, heavier-than-usual snowfall. Ah, but the bad news. The water level will still be lower than it was two years ago when a federal shortage was declared. Despite what you may see on Twitter, the drought continues. Also, a respected Italy-based guide to the world's pizza has put just one joint from Las Vegas on its top 50 pizzas in the U.S., Downtown's Pizza Rock. Certainly more than a few pizza lovers in our community might ask the Italians to try a slice from our wickedly diverse and delicious array of Vegas-based pizzerias. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, hey, here's what you can do. Pick your favorite CityCast episode. Could be today's, could be last week, could be could be the first one we ever did. And go send it to three friends. Seriously, that's all you got to do. It would mean so much to us and really help us grow the show. Then, why don't you rate the show too? Leave us a review and subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care.